Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the life of David and me. My name is Jonathan Chan. I'm so glad that you can join me today as we continue our journey through the life of David and to see what we can learn from his life, especially with regards to his mistakes. Well, before we begin, customarily, we begin with a video clip. So sit back, relax and enjoy the video clip and we'll be right back. Good morning, everybody. Who would like an authentic New York bagel? Hmm? Stanley? Thank you. No, 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 no. I got a pumpernickel just for you. Wow. H&H, you went all the way to New York City to get us bagels? Oh, why? Is there a place closer that sells them? This is really nice, Dwight. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, don't mention it. You owe me one. <laughs> you all owe me one. Have you ever told someone, you owe me a favor? Or have you thought about it? Hoping that that person that you helped would remember your act of benevolence towards them and be nice enough or Christian enough to return the favor when you need help. I did. And from time to time, I catch myself doing it because when I volunteered my time, my energy, and even my money to help others, it's not because I wanted a favor in return, but you know, when I need help, when it's, turn that, when it's my turn that needs help, I hope that the other person would at least be kind enough to remember the favor I did for them and be nice enough to help me when I need it to show that they appreciated what I did for them, right? But rarely does this happen, especially in the nonprofit world. We expect, but rarely the favor is returned in kind. We say to ourselves, what a prick. I helped you so much, yet this is what I get? When I need help, you just shun me away? I did so much for you. Yet when I need help, you offer none. The same goes with parenting, right? As parents, we invest so much time, so much energy, and so much money, and so much of our very being for our children. But we cannot expect our children to return the favor in kind. We can't. In fact, many parents I see continue to spend time, energy, money, and their very being on their children's children, i.e. grandchildren. And yet still, we cannot expect our children to return the favor in kind. Why? Because it's not love when we expect a return, right? It's not out of love when we do something for someone and then we expect that someone to return it in favor. And out of love, we want to see our kids have every opportunity to flourish and fulfill their God-given purpose. We are merely an agent fulfilling our God-given roles because we love God and our fellow human beings. If we expect anything in return, that's not love and definitely not the right motive. Today, as we continue our journey on the life of David, we see God giving David a lesson on this very principle. Let's start off with chapter 7, verse 1. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. This is the first mentioning of David settling and resting. Since the beginning of our journey with David, David has been tending sheep, 
playing harps, fighting wars, including fighting a giant, running from a tyrant who wanted to kill him, fighting wars again, and just kept doing, doing, and doing. Finally, the Lord had given David rest, and he can finally settle down. Now, David was always doing something, and now that he's not doing anything, what happened? What usually happens when we are doing nothing? We start to think and begin talking to ourselves, and here's what David thought. Now, before we do that, let's make a note of this. God granted David rest. It's what David did with this rest that is the key point here, because we will see again that David again is at rest later on. In verse 2, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. I'm going to do a favor for God, David said, because it's not right that I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace and God is just in a tent. At first reading, I responded the same way as the prophet Nathan. How often does a pastor hear from a church member, you know what, pastor, because of the amazing things that happened to me since I became a Christian, pastor, I'm going to donate $1 million to the church building fund. If I was a pastor, why would I stop this person from doing it? Go for it, I would say. Awesome. Praise the Lord for your generosity. It's not every day where a pastor hears about such generosity, right? Many times, pastors hear about prayer requests and, and members asking the pastor to ask God on their behalf of their prayer requests. And so, even though Nathan's response on paper does not seem as enthusiastic and jovial, but I think there was a, there was a bit of enthusiasm since Nathan's response was immediate and there was absolutely no pause for inquiring with God what God would say about it. Which is interesting because you would think that Nathan would ask God if that's what he really wanted was a house. But, again, if I was Nathan, being a pastor myself, would you deny someone giving you $1 million? Then this happened the night of, in verse 4. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? He never asked. The Lord said no. Imagine you're the pastor. I am a pastor myself, so I'm going to just put myself as an example. Right after this member offers to donate $1 million to the building fund, I fall asleep. And suddenly, the Lord wakes me up and says, Dude, no. You can't take it. Tell this person no. What will I do? What would I say to the member of my church? God said, no? 
And indeed, that's what Nathan did. Thanks, but no thanks. Nathan needs to deliver this message to David. God does not want a house from David or any favors from David. Here's why. Now God... uh, Now go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. First, David is the Lord's servant. David is to serve the Lord's purpose and fulfill the Lord's promise to his people. The promise that he made long time ago from the beginning to use his chosen people to bring about the salvation to the world. God is using David, Israel's representative now, to fulfill this promise. Everything that God has done for David and continuing to do for David is part of God's plan to redeem the world because God loves the world he created. God, selecting David, is the same as God selecting Abraham and God selecting Moses prior and God selecting the judges and every other leader for that matter. God being the warrior, protecting David from his enemies, well, God did the same thing for Abraham, Moses, and Isaac, and Jacob, and all the leaders of Israel. So, for God, this is what he does. This is what he has been doing ever since. God made Abraham and Moses' name great as well, and not once did God ask for a house. So, he says to David, why should I ask for a house now? God is fulfilling his plan through David the same way he was fulfilling his plan throughout the entire history of Israel. From Abraham all the way to Moses, all the way to the leaders of Israel. Furthermore now, as part of God's plan, he will make a house for David, a dynasty of kings. God is basically saying to David that God is doing his job through his servant David because he loves his people so much that he fulfills his promises. God showed favor to David because it was God's purpose and plan to show favor to David. If God complained about it, i.e. asking for favors in return, God's actions were no longer out of love and the purpose of redemption, is it? It's more like a self-serving, self-esteem booster to fill a void created by a Superman-Savior complex, right? And that's not what God wanted. God didn't have a void to fill. God didn't need favors in return. God did it because he had a promise to fulfill and he had a purpose to fulfill. And that was to redeem the world through David. Let's move on. Verse 12. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod like any father would do. But my favor 
will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. God has a plan for someone else to build his temple, not David. The building of the temple serves God's purpose for that someone, whereas building the temple did not serve God's purpose for David. Let me say that again. The building, the whole process of building the temple and the temple itself served God's purpose for that someone who is going to build that temple. Building the temple, the whole process, did not serve God's purpose for David specifically. That's interesting, right? Sometimes we think that what we plan to do will be awesome for the neighboring communities, for the environment, for social justice and equity. However, have we ever given much thought about what would doing these things would do to us, especially our relationship with God? Will doing these things direct or divert our attention away from God? Will doing these things consume so much of our time, our energy, and our intention that we no longer do it for God, but for our own self-esteem and self-worth? Will it divert us from God-given roles? Like myself, for instance, will doing these things divert me from being a father, from being a pastor, from being a good friend? Will it divert me from my God-given roles? Or worse, will we no longer do it out of love, but as a favor, expecting something in return from those we serve? Notice in this passage we read that God is more concerned about the relationship he has with David and his future generations. There's this father and son relationship that God wanted David to focus his attention on, as opposed to doing God a favor. Not only is David God's servant, David is also God's child like you and I. We are all God's children. God doesn't desire things from us, nor does he want us to do things for him. What he wants is a relationship with us, for us to allow him to be our father and we be his children, for him to love us and for us to love him in return through trust and obedience. The stuff we do, that needs to be centered on this very premise. If what we do jeopardizes our relationship with God, it doesn't matter how good a cause it is or how good the motive it is, it's not what God desires. Let's move on. Verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed. Sat. Recall in the beginning where I said we need to take note of David finally settling in his palace because the Lord granted him rest. Here we are given the word settled again to conclude our journey through the chapter 7 today. New Living Translation translated the Hebrew word yasab with sat which is the same as settle interchangeably. What are we to do when God grants us rest so that we can yesab? Are we to just lay dormant in a room and just get lost in our thoughts? <laughs> well, David did earlier, right? And unfortunately, he didn't have a good much of a plan, did he? And unfortunately, 
David would have this again, would have this yesab again, and that led him into trouble. Do we start getting antsy to do something because we just feel that we need to do something or else we feel useless? Is that what we do when we have yesab or when we settle or find rest? Or do we go on a vacation and just enjoy ourselves? What did David do when he finally settled again, when he sat down? Well, he sat before the Lord and prayed, i.e., David, in his own private space, worshiped the Lord humbly before God. Instead of doing stuff, David, knowing that God granted him rest, worshiped. And what did David say to God? In verse 18, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, Sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way? O Sovereign Lord, what, can, what more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, Sovereign Lord, because of your promise and according to your will. You have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. How great you are, O Sovereign Lord, there is no one like you. You have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that, that will last forever. And may your name be honored forever so that everyone will say, The Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you, God, O sovereign Lord, your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O Sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. I like how the New Living Translation and the New International Version brings out Sovereign God, Sovereign Lord, as the English translation to the Hebrew word Yehovah, because it emphasizes the magnitude of the name of God the sovereignty of God. Jehovah and Yahweh are used as the ultimate address to God, the God. And here we find David using that name to address God, meaning David knows that he's a servant of God. Five times David used Jehovah in his prayer, and hence it's pretty important. But I'll leave it with you to study it further on the significance of Jehovah in this prayer in your own, on your own. But for now, there's one phrase I would like to highlight that stuck out for me that sums up today's journey. It's in verse 20 and 21. Let me recite it again. What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, Sovereign Lord. Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. God knows what we are like more than we know ourselves. He knows our hearts, our tendencies, and our strengths and weaknesses. Here's a personal example, Richmond Community Day. I like using this example because this was God's way of reminding me of who I am and who he is. Crucible Church organized a Richmond Community Day, 
We can't now due to COVID, but before COVID, we organized about two of them, one, two of them for two years. It's a huge event for us. A dozen nonprofits come in. We have sponsors and civic leaders and neighboring communities of the city of Richmond come out. One year, everything seemed to have gone really well. We had more sponsors than we needed. We had a lot of nonprofits, including the RCMP coming. We had the mayor and the council joining, and we had a full live orchestra performing. We were on a high. Yet God reminded me of who we were and who he was. Rain started coming down because this was a summer outdoor activity. If it rained, we would have had to cancel the entire thing. One hour before the event started, I felt raindrops coming down. It was weird because the weather forecasted was supposed to be sunny with 0% rain. Why are we seeing raindrops? I was really nervous, anxious, and suddenly, a thought crept in my mind. How would people see Crucible Church? How would people see me? How would the church see me if this doesn't happen? You could say that my pride got the best of me. But then I heard God's voice in my heart. He said this, give this event back to me. If I want to make this happen, I'll make it happen. If I don't, I won't let it happen. Jonathan, you're my servant. I provided everything for this event. I can easily take it back. At that moment, I understood what God was saying to me that day. He knew me more than I knew myself. I, he knew that my pride would get the best of me. He knew that my pride would be bloaty. And probably if the event like, didn't have the raindrops, I would be on a total high thinking that I did this all myself and that I am giving it to God because, you know, all glory to God. And I feel so proud that I'm giving this glory to God. But then because of these raindrops and because God spoke to me, I didn't pray for the rain to stop. I prayed, let your will be done, just like David in this passage. In the end, the rain stopped and the event, of course, continued. But at that moment, that one hour, I was reminded that really, we are all servants of God. He shows favor for the reason of fulfilling his purpose. And he requires no favors from us. He allows and enables. He blesses and he favors things to happen for his purpose. Even Richmond Community Day. And ultimately, his purpose is for us to have a relationship with him. The mission trips, the community days, the volunteering, all that. He doesn't really need that for us to do for him. What really matters is that whatever, he has, whatever opportunity has given to us, fulfills the purpose of our relationship with him, with him being our father and we be his children, for him to love us and we to love him in trust and obedience. Everything else, mission trips, volunteering, community days, everything else serves that purpose. For David, through his prayer, he understood this. It's not about the blessings that God has given him. It's not about the favors that God has given him. The ultimate purpose is the relationship between him and God. So where are we? Are we focused too much on the blessings? How do we know that? Well, have you ever felt burdened that you owe God something in return? Ever felt guilty that you're not pulling your weight or felt you didn't deserve it? Ever felt that you had to do something, do something, do something for God? Well, then you might be too focused on the blessings 
as opposed to God's purpose, which is God wants to love you and wants you to love him back. Amen.